Hello, Schweitzer. I'm Pastor Jason, and welcome to worship. We're so glad that you've joined us for week three of the Fruit of the Spirit sermon series and for this worship experience today. So glad to have you here. If this is your first time, we'd encourage you to take a moment, let us know you're here, fill out the Connect card. We've got a gift that we'd love to send to you. Today, as we worship together and as you think about how you can grow in your faith, we'd love to encourage you to go to schweitzer.church/next. There you'll find a number of ways where you can grow in your faith. You'll find some sermon discussion questions that go along with today's sermon. And you'll find other ways that you can connect and things that are happening at Schweitzer. So we encourage you to go to schweitzer.church slash next. Next up is Stephanie. And she's going to share with us some things that are happening this week at Schweitzer. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. As a Christ-centered church, we are always looking for ways to help people to grow in their faith. And one way we do this is through small groups and classes. We have a number of short-term groups happening right now on Tuesday nights, including a group discussion on loneliness and a class on marriage, which begins this Tuesday, September 26th. On Wednesday nights, we have programs and groups for kids, students, and adults. And as a part of our Wednesday night programs, we offer meals at 515. Be sure to pre-order your chicken sandwich either at the Blue Booth or online at schweitzer.church Wednesdays. Another way we are helping the next generation grow in their faith is through confirmation. Here's Levi Zen to tell you more about this. What's up, y'all? I'm Levi Zinn here to tell you a little bit more about confirmation. We're about to start up a new confirmation class on October 1st. And if you don't know what confirmation is, it's simple. Confirmation is a chance for our students to kickstart their faith as we walk through the Bible, learn more about who God is, and learn how to be a part of a church. If you have or are a student in 7th through 12th grade that's interested in learning more about confirmation, you can come talk to me or email me at lzinn at schweitzer.church. Thanks, Levi. Students or parents, be sure to sign up to be a part of the confirmation class at schweitzer.church students. On October 6th, from 6 to 8, our Schweitzer Kids team is putting together a fun evening called Putt-Putt and Pumpkins. We'll play mini golf and have a trunk or treat. This will be a great community-focused event, and we need lots of volunteers and trunk hosts. You can find out more online at schweitzer.church kids or chat with Stephanie or Taylor from our kids team. On Saturday, October 14th, our campus will be busy as we start the day with a guy's breakfast at 8 a.m. with guest speaker Hosey Ballou and music by the Fossil Band in Memorial Hall. Then from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the Student Center, the Schweitzer Ladies will be hosting an event where we'll learn what it means to love God and love our community with guest speaker Rebecca Brimmer from the Bridges for Peace organization and Sharon Jeffess, who will guide us in a canvas art creation. You can find out about both of these opportunities and sign up either at the Blue Booth in the lobby or online at schweitzer.church next. And one more date for you to put on your calendar. Sunday, October 15th at 6 p.m. is our next night of worship. This is an opportunity to join with our modern worship team in a special night of praise and prayer. It is open to all ages and our community. We are so glad you've joined us today. Let's continue with worship. 
Thanks, Stephanie, for letting us know what's coming up at Swicer. Hey, and a special word to all of you who worship with us online. Did you know that there are a couple of ways that you can grow in your faith each week, even being online? Um, on Tuesdays, we've got a group that has been meeting for a long time, Tuesday night. They go through the sermon discussion questions. And if you'd like to be a part of that, they'd love to have you join. And starting October 3rd, I'm going to be leading a group Tuesday morning, 5.30 in the morning. I'm going to be going through um, some questions that came out of this book I, I released recently, um, Becoming a Leader, A Journey with Joseph. Would love for you to join me. It goes from 5.30 to 6.15 a.m. I know you get to rise and shine with me and a really good cup of coffee. Both of those opportunities, if you'd like to be a part, learn more about them, go to switzer.church slash groups and you'll see how you can be a part of those opportunities for you who are a part of an online community. We are so glad you're here. If you're worshiping live with us, 9 or 10.30 a.m., we'd encourage you to take a moment and say hello to other people in the chat room. If you've got a prayer request, there's somebody that would love to pray with you. We are so glad you're here, and we're so glad that we can enter into worship together. Let us, with glad hearts, lift up our faces and join with the angels the songs of glory of God. Let us sing to Him, for He is our peace. Cause I know nobody loves me better
Today, as we come to a time of prayer, I want to share a prayer with you that's been of, of great help to me. A couple of different times in, in my adult life, my heart has been really troubled. So troubled, you know, when you've got a, one of those knots that sits at the bottom of your stomach and wakes you up and keeps you from sleeping, where you really, in a sense, you lack peace. But I found this Sacred Heart of Jesus prayer, a prayer that comes from the tradition of our sisters and brothers in the Catholic Church, to be of great help and to bring me to a place of resting in the heart of Christ. And so I want to invite you today, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit of Peace, I invite you to pray with me this prayer. Most sacred, most loving heart of Jesus, your heart beats for us still. Now as then you say, with desire I have desired. We worship you with all of our best love and awe, with fervent affection, with our most subdued, most resolved will. For a while, you take up your abode within us. Oh, make our hearts beat with your heart. Purify it of all that is earthly, all that is proud and sensual, of all perversity, of all disorder, of all deadness. So fill our hearts with you that neither the events of the day nor the circumstances of the time may have power to ruffle it. But that in your love and your fear, our hearts might have peace. Now I invite you to join me in saying the prayer that Jesus taught us. We say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue in worship, we come to a time of, of giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord. We wanna thank you for being generous with your giving. Recently, I was reading in the book of Philemon and Paul has this prayer of thanksgiving at the very beginning. He, he tells Philemon, every time I pray for you and I think about you, one of the things I think about is how faith is, is being born out in your life and how you're generous and how that generosity flows in a lot of different ways. Your generosity, the generosity of Schweitzer, has made a lot of ministry possible. We're so grateful for that. One of the ministries that has been lifted up is that of Flourish Community Development Corporation. And we are getting ready to celebrate 20 years of the Flourish Food Pantry. September 30th, they're having a celebratory event, and you're invited to be a part of it. We're all invited to be a part of it. We'd love for you to find out more by going to Schweitzer.church/flourish to see what it would take for you to be a part of the 20-year celebration. We're going to show you today a bit of the history of, that, of the food pantry in this brief picture of a documentary that we've prepared.
um, take a look at this, at this picture. In the story of Joshua leading the Israelites across the Jordan River, God instructed Joshua to commemorate the occasion by gathering stones together so that when future generations would ask the question, what do these stones mean? They would be able to talk about God's faithfulness for 40 years in the wilderness. We too need to ask the question, what do these stones, what do these stories mean? This is a milestone year as we celebrate 20 years of God at work, specifically through the ministry of the food pantry located on East Sunshine. As we mark its 20th anniversary, we want to share how this ministry has evolved over the years, both as an extension of Schweitzer Church and Flourish Community Development Corporation. Wasn't that awesome? We're gonna be showing the full-length version of the documentary at the Flourish 20th celebration event. You can go to Schweitzer.church slash Flourish and you can be a part. Look forward to seeing you there. Next up, we're gonna hear from Pastor Spencer and he's gonna be sharing with us about how the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here today. We are continuing our series on uh, the fruit of the Spirit, exploring for nine weeks this incredibly, incredibly famous passage. Galatians 5, 22, 23 goes like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The plan for the series is really simple. Every week, we're just taking one of these words and we're diving in deep. And as we go, we're having a conversation about growth. So this is part three, third week. We're gonna look at the third word and that third word is peace. That the fruit of the Spirit is peace. To say that differently, the natural outgrowth of a follower of Jesus is peace. This is what we should come to expect as we grow in Christ, that, uh, that we would grow in peace. And the reason for this is because this is what God is like. God is peace. So as you think about God's attributes, what he's like, what his character is like, peace should be one of the words that comes to mind because this is who he is. And we see this truth all over the Bible. One of the most prominent words in the Old Testament is the word uh, shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. We translate it generally as peace, but sometimes we translate it as more than that uh, because peace is not just about 
avoiding conflict in our life. It's about this um, well-being of how we live. And so sometimes this Hebrew word to be translated as peace, sometimes be translated as, as a well-being or security or safety or health, because this is the idea that, that God brings this peace. This is his will for our life that we live in this peace. In fact, the rabbis used to say that peace was the natural order of the created or, uh, world, that as God created peace in the garden, that, uh, or God created the world in the garden, that, that what he created was a, was a world of peace. And it was through the fallen nature of, of humanity that we then entered into all of the fear and the worry and the conflict and the violence and the, and the uh, poverty and all the injustice that comes. But, it, but the way that God created the world was peace. And what we see with the new creation, where there'll be no more uh, crying or uh, death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will pass away is also peace that this is what God has done. It's God's character, God's heart, God's will is peace. And so it should be no surprise that when the Son of God came into the world, he came to bring peace. I think about some of the verses we read around Christmas time, verses like this, Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, or another way to say that would be his rule, his kingdom, will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government or his rule and peace. There will be no end. Or I think about what the angels said the night that Jesus was born, the Messiah was born. Luke 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or just think about the many, many, many promises that Jesus himself made, such as John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The promise of God is that through Jesus, there is peace. And so therefore, because of Jesus, we have uh, peace with God, that's Romans 5. Uh, Peace that fills our minds, that's Romans 8. We have peace as part of the armor of God, that's Ephesians 6. We have peace that passes understanding, that's Philippians 4. We have peace that rules in our hearts, that's Colossians 3. We have peace that sanctifies us, that's 1 Thessalonians 5. We have peace that is given to us abundantly, that's Jude. And I could go on and on with, with examples of this because the promise of peace is practically on every page of the Bible. This is what we should come to expect. So for followers of Jesus, for those who walk in step with the Spirit, for those who um, have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, for those who submit their lives and live in obedience to what God has for us, for those who practice a life of discipleship and we take up our cross and we follow Him, the expectation should be a life of peace because the natural outgrowth of a disciple of Jesus is peace. This is what happens as we grow in fellowship and in, and in love with Him. And yet, uh, we live in a culture where peace is increasingly um, hard to find. A thinker and writer that, that I have has influenced me very deeply is a, a man named Edwin Freeman. I referenced a book a, a few weeks ago in, in one of our messages, and he wrote a book called Failure of Nerve that is considered by myself and many other people the, the best um, leadership book that's out there. And, and it's so helpful because Edwin Freeman's work, he, he walks through what are some of the great challenges to um, leadership today. And, and what Freeman does in his work, which I find so, so helpful, is, is he helps us understand the world that we live in and, and how it 
it operates. And so Freeman would say in his work that he, he, he points out that all of the data we have shows that we are progressing as a, as a West in Western culture. We are, we are progressing. You can think of all the ways that we are progressing. We are progressing economically where there's more money, more people have more money than ever before. So there's this economic progression that's taking place. We're progressing um, with technology. We're progressing in medicine. We're progressing in science as we have greater and greater understandings, all these breakthroughs that are taking place, which is just absolutely amazing. And so Friedman in his, in his work, he points out the data. It's all there, that we are progressing in so many ways. And yet the data is also there that while we progress in Western culture in all of these ways, we are regressing emotionally and socially. And so we see this every day, this emotional and social regression. I mean, think about how we see this every single day. Last year, in 2022, um, a Pew survey was released that showed that 39% of Americans, that's a huge number, by the way, 39% of Americans said that they were more anxious than they were a year before. That's a massive number. That's like 130 million people said that they're more anxious this year than they were last year. We, we look at the mental health crisis that's all over the place in our nation. We have um, drugs like SSRIs, or antidepressants, which are just a massive multi-billion dollar industry as people are dealing with their depression and, and what they go through. And we have this mental health crisis that's, that's not just uh, wreaking havoc on individuals, but we also have this uh, relational discord that so many people live in. Uh, one of the great epidemics of our society right now is a relational discord of loneliness, I mean, the, the amount of friends that people have is on a massive decline. It's, a, it's an epidemic that some people say is as dangerous to live lonely as it is to smoke cigarettes to your, to your physical health. Um, and, and this is especially prevalent among men that, that loneliness is just this increasing, increasing way of life. In fact, our church is a, addressing this this fall with a class on addressing and tackling loneliness. It might be something that you need to consider. So we have this, this epidemic of loneliness. We have widespread divorce as as families uh, fracture, we have um, uh, all kinds of relational problems that that creates discord in our lives. One in four Americans are living with a, a close relative who is estranged from them. And there's all kinds of discord that's taking place. There's the big sort that everyone's talking about, how we have fewer and fewer people in our lives who are of the opposing political party, and instead we just have sorted ourselves into homogenous thinking groups as we no longer know people who are different than us. And there's just all kinds of ways that there's this anxiety and worry and fear and discord that's taking place in our life. And, and so you have this emotional regression that's happening. In fact, there's a whole multi-billion dollar industry that's taking advantage of this emotional regression within us. We call that social media. Because at this point, it's widely reported that that social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, X, whatever it is you follow, they're all designed to drive, to make you anxious, angry, jealous, to fill you with rage and outrage because they, they know that the those negative emotions keep you on their platforms longer. They're making billions of dollars off of our emotional and social regression of this is what's taking place. This is just life today. And yet... The natural outcome of a follower of Jesus is peace. So how, how does that happen? I mean, because for, for us to live a life into this promise of peace means that we are going to have to swim upstream against all kinds of 
cultural and uh, social and emotional factors that are coming against us. So how do we do this? How do we live a life of peace within this culture that is anything but peace? That's a, that's a great question, by the way. How do we do this? I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about that. Um, I, I can't help but think of a teaching that Jesus gives. It's so helpful in, in understanding how we move into this promise of peace as disciples of Jesus. So let's go to this teaching, Matthew chapter 6. This is so good, so rich. Um, let's read through this. Jesus teaches, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Do not be stressed. And, and do not live with the outcome of that worry, which are things like anger and outrage and jealousy. These are things that come from fear and worry and, uh, and anxiety. So do, do not worry. Do not be afraid. Do not live with stress. Do not live with anxiety. Do not live your life this way. So do not worry about your life, Jesus says. Do not worry about your life. Translated there from the Greek word, um, suke. That's where the word life is translated from. And that's where we get the word psychology. Um, psyche. It's about who you are on the inside. It's about your well-being. Um, sometimes it's translated as the word soul. So do not worry about who you are at the core or about incidental things, just the basics of life. He goes on, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life, again, the word suke, who you are, more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air, They do not sow or reap or soar away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And of course you are. Verse 27, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Well, of course you can't. He goes on, he says, why do you worry about the clothes? See, the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is, here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. and Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, as we walk through this teaching, you may have noticed that this teaching doesn't specifically mention the word peace. But, but what Jesus teaches here is absolutely essential to um, living into this promise for God's peace. Now, it's, it's easy to, to hear this teaching and to think to yourself, okay, 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 Jesus told me do not worry, right? Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. Do not live my life with fear. So do not worry. So he commands me not to worry. And so it's easy to think that this is like a thou shalt not worry, and when you hear it like that, your, your takeaway is to say, okay, this week, I'm going to try really hard not to worry. I'm going to work really hard to, to, to not be afraid. I'm going to work really hard to be at peace. I'm not going to look, work, live in fear. I'm not going to let those things that come with fear, like anger or maybe, you know, overspending or, or gossip or these other things that like come out of a, a life of fear where you're trying to keep up or, kind of look at how you rank with other people. You're not going to live in that kind of way. So I'm like, I'm not going to live with fear. So so this week, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to trust God because because Jesus tells me not to do this. And if that's your strategy for living in peace, it's just like, I'm going to try harder. Good luck. I mean, I give you about two hours before all of those things start to filter back into your life because there's just so 
so much coming at you. But what Jesus is, is giving us here is, is not just a, a commandment, thou shalt not worry. What, what Jesus is giving us here is an invitation, an invitation to be oriented to life, to the world, to yourself, to God in a totally different way. Now you can see this invitation really clearly when you look at the two groups of people that Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter six. So one group of people is the pagan. Jesus said this in verse 32. He just says very simply, the pagans run after all these things. All these things that Jesus is talking about are the things that we need in life, what we eat and drink and our clothes, our lives, our suke, our psyche, our, our, our minds. And Jesus tells us that the pagans chase after all of these things because they are worried. So fear drives the pagans to chase after all of those things. Now, this word pagan that Jesus used here, it's translated from a Greek word, ethne. It's where we get the word ethnic. Sometimes this word can be translated as Gentile. Um, but Jesus is not here speaking in terms of categories of uh, demographics, like Jew or Gentile. Jesus is speaking in terms of categories of theology, of how you see the world and how you see God. And this is really what, what is making the difference here between the pagans and this other group that, that he has. You see, in Jesus' day, the pagans were non-Jews who worshiped the gods. Think Greek mythology. You got Zeus and Apollos and, and Artemis and all these gods. And there's, there's, there's gods and demigods and spirits and all kinds of things that rule the world. And essentially everyone who is not a Jew worshiped um, some sort of mixture of lots of different gods. And it was very unique that the Jews had this revelation from God that, that there's one God, not all these gods, and that this God actually cares about you. Because as a pagan, um, in a pagan system, you might have dozens of, of gods that you look at in your life, gods for your city, your family, maybe your trade, there's gods for different parts of life, like your food and maybe your drink, and there's foods about uh, gods about your crops and your fertility and your war, and there's all kinds of gods for all kinds of things in life. And as a pagan, you worship these gods not to because they care about you, but you worship them to try to get their attention, to get their blessings so that they take care of you. The, the, the pagan gods, they don't actually care about you at all. Um, the thought is actually they're quite capricious and selfish and they don't care about us. We just offer them sacrifices to try to win them over to our side. And if you think about life in a pre-modern world, in a pre-modern world without medicine and technology and mass communication, I mean, think about how chaotic life would be with, if this is the world that you lived in. I mean, your city could be invaded at any time. You'd have no warning of anything coming at you like that. Your family could go hungry every season if there's not enough rain or if there's too much drought or flood. Your child could die because they get a cut and the cut gets infected and they don't have antibiotics or an understanding of, of microbes to treat it. And this would be the world that you live in. It would be incredibly chaotic and you would lack control over all of these things that today that we take for granted. And so your solution to not having control in this chaotic world was to worship the gods. Because at its heart, the pagan worship that Jesus is talking about here is about achieving control over an incredibly chaotic world. I'm going to say that one more time. The pagan worship that Jesus is talking about is about achieving control over an incredibly chaotic world. Now that should sound a little bit familiar. Because this worldview of seeking control and being oriented towards control, I mean, that's alive and well today. 
not through pagan worship of seeing spirits and gods in all kinds of places, but this desire to achieve control over an incredibly chaotic world is just as prevalent today as it was then. I mean, have you ever known someone who spills salt on the table and then they throw it over their shoulder? Or do you know anyone who carries like a lucky charm with them of some sort? Or um, have you ever known someone who, who uh, they knock on wood? Do you, know, do you know why they do those old superstitions? What, what's the root of those old superstitions? It's so that if I do those things, then you know, bad things aren't going to happen to me. This is also what's behind things like astrology, uh, tarot cards, psychics, mediums. It's, it's all about finding some sense of control within a chaotic world. And we don't just do this with old superstitions. I mean, we do this with other kinds of things like our mindsets. A couple weeks ago, I was watching uh, Monday Night Football. The New York Jets are playing the Buffalo Bills. The great uh, Aaron Rodgers is making his debut as the Jets quarterback for the very first time. And before the game, John McEnroe, the tennis star and and Jets fan, was interviewing um, Aaron Rodgers. Now, if you don't know anything about football, all you need to know for the story is that it would be very hard to live your life as a Jets fan. (laughs) I mean, the Jets are always struggling and they're always in the basement. So, so... Um, for once, like this year, for the first time, they have hope because they have the great Aaron Rodgers and everyone's talking about the Super Bowl and this is their expectation. And, and so John McEnroe is interviewing Aaron Rodgers and because he's a Jets fan, he's been let down so many times. He asks Aaron Rodgers this question, this really defeatist kind of question. He asks him, so, okay, so what does it mean if we don't make the playoffs? Not just if we don't go to the Super Bowl, but if we don't make the playoffs. That's a Jets fan kind of question. And Aaron Rodgers had this fascinating answer. Because what he said to him was this, he said, don't speak that into existence. And so John McEnroe, he's defeatist, he's a Jets fan, he doesn't believe they can win, he keeps coming back to this kind of negative place, and and Aaron Rodgers over and over and over again just chides him for um, this uh, negativity and tells him, don't speak those words, don't speak this into existence, And, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't say this, but what he demonstrates in this interview is this idea that through positive thinking, through the words that I say, that I can keep these bad things from happening to me. I mean, this is an element of trying to seek control within a positive or through through positive self-talk and a positive mentality. And then when the game started, no more than four plays into the game, Aaron Rodgers injures himself with a season-ending injury. It'd be hard to be a Jets fan. Now, I don't tell that story or, or point that out to make fun of Aaron Rodgers or to celebrate his injury or anything like that. My, my point is really simple. I just want to say this. Uh, life is chaotic. That's just the nature of life. And there are so many things that happen to us that are fully and completely outside of our control. Things that we cannot even begin to, to have understanding of. And, and you can live your life with an orientation towards the world, towards yourself, towards your neighbor, towards God, that is trying to seek control of these things. You might do it through pagan worship, like Jesus is talking about. You might do it through old superstitions. You might do it through positive self-talk. You might do it in other ways. You might do it by trying to gather all kinds of data for every problem you have. You see this a lot when people go through marriage problems, health problems, or maybe work problems. It's like, how many more articles do I need to read about this thing before I don't feel afraid anymore? Or how much cable news do I need to consume before I'm not worried about our country anymore? And it's, All it's really doing is feeding our anxiety, but we think we're gaining control by gaining more data. 
Or sometimes we seek to gain control through science and technology, and we think that that's going to be the answer for the chaotic world that we live in. And there's all kinds of ways that, that we, we do this, but what it's, at its basic, basic root, what's taking place is that we are, we are believing in this myth of control. This myth that we can gain control over an incredibly chaotic world. But the truth is, the truth is, this world has got so many things that come against us that are so far outside of our control that, uh, that we can never actually gain the control that we're searching for. And what's, what's happening at the root when we, when we constantly are trying to seek control is that there is a theological conviction that we are living in, which is essentially this, that there is no God who cares about me, and so therefore, I'm all alone. So it's on my shoulders to try to seek control of this incredibly chaotic world that I live in. That's one group of people that Jesus is talking about. It's an orientation to the world that's on my shoulders, so it's on me to control this incredibly chaotic world. Another group of people that Jesus describes in Matthew 6 look at the world very differently. They have a very different theological conviction that God is good, that he created all things, that he actually loves his creation, including you and me, that we're invited into a relationship with him where we can depend on him to take care of us. The proof of this, of course, is that he sends his own son as a sacrifice for us, a gift for us, for us to have a life with him. And so therefore, in the knowledge and the trust of this good God, Jesus teaches us actually to call this God our Father, to seek after him in this kind of way. And so this type of person who has a very different orientation to the world that sees God's goodness, sees God's care and God's love, understands that life is really not up to me. It's not ultimately on my shoulders. And so this person doesn't seek after all the things of life that they need to control and have in order to have a good life. Instead, this person is going to seek after a very different aim. Jesus describes it like this, Matthew 6, 33. This person is seeking, quote, first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, everything else we need will be given to us as well. So when we seek after him, our father in heaven who loves us and cares for us and his righteousness, when we seek to please him and to live in submission to him and to obey him and we practice confession, repentance and our discipleship and we grow in him, when we find ourselves living in this chaotic world, when that is our orientation, we no longer have to be afraid. Because now we are putting our trust in a God who is greater than the chaos and one who actually truly um, loves us. So instead of seeking control over all these things that we can't control, instead we're invited to, to live in peace. And what happens when we have this orientation, we, we do something else as well. Instead of grabbing for control in every which way, we end up um, instead facing our problems and the chaos of our life not with fear, but with prayer. And there's one prayer in particular that seems to rise up in our hearts as we reorient ourselves to the goodness of God in this world and how he takes care of us. And that's a prayer that we pray every single week in our church. One of the lines of that prayer goes like this, thy will be done. Thy will be done. This is the kind of prayer that can only be prayed by someone who understands the goodness and love of God for them. It's an orientation to the world, a theological conviction that I'm not all on my own, that God truly loves me and cares for me, 
And so therefore I can trust him. So Paul says, the fruit of the spirit is peace. (laughs) And of course it is, of course it is. Because when you walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, when you learn and apply and live the word of God into your life every single day, when you seek after the Lord with other believers, when you worship him and put him first, you're certainly not gonna be spared the chaos of this world. Certainly not, it's still gonna come because we live in a fallen world. But as you grow in him and learn to trust him and learn to see him in your life, his character is gonna grow in you. So don't be surprised when you find peace growing in your heart and growing in your mind, especially in times where normally you might be afraid or normally you might be in conflict or normally there might be turmoil, but instead there is peace because you've learned to see a different orientation of life, that God is actually good and now you're trusting in him. And when that happens, that that prayer of surrender starts to take place in our lives where we just start to say to the Lord, thy will be done. Whatever it is that you need to do, you can do this in my life because I trust you. So maybe you need to pray that prayer over something specific in your life today. Something that's causing you to grasp for some control, something that's making you afraid, some conflict that you're facing. Maybe it's over your marriage, your health, your finances, your job, your kids, your neighbors, your church, your city, your country, whatever it might be. We pray that prayer of surrender. Thy will be done. Because we know that God loves us, that he's good, and that he cares about us. And so we have an orientation to the world that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to seek control. Now, normally as we end these messages, uh, we, we end with a prayer. Today, I wanna end with a blessing. It comes straight from the Bible. It's a blessing that the Lord gave to Moses and Aaron to say over the Israelites. And it's a blessing that the Israelites had to learn when they were leaving Egypt to go live in the promised land. They were leaving the paganism of Egypt and to be reoriented to seeing the goodness of God and the life around them. The Lord gave this blessing to speak to the people of Israel. And so Moses and Aaron and the priests would speak them to Israel. And I wanna speak this to you today. And so may this be true for you. May this blessing be true for me. May this blessing be true for our church. May this blessing be true for our families. May this blessing be true for our city goes like this, Numbers 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you so much. So glad you joined us today in worship. Um, A big thank you to all those who helped produce today's worship event. From Stephanie to Alec to Pastor Spencer, the worship team, big thank you to all of you. If you found this helpful, we encourage you to take a moment to like it and share it. You can share, you know, all the places where you connect with folks. Share to those places. We'd be ever so thankful. We look forward to seeing you soon, whether it's online or in person. So glad you're with us today. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ rest upon you be found inside of you. May the fruit of the Spirit, active in you, be peace. Amen.
all my days I've been held 